Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, the podcast designed to simplify the complex job of managing and leading people. And our goal with this podcast, like everyone, is to share with you a proven practical business practice that will help you build a more sustainable and hopefully profitable business. Our guest today, I've been excited to have him join us for a number of reasons. I'll get into some of those in a bit, but let me give you some of his background. He is a businessman who happens to be in healthcare, and so he's found his niche and done really well at that. He's a family man. He's crazy about his family, spends a lot of time with them. He is a great board member, and I've been around enough of them to know the good ones from the bad ones, and this guy's a really good one. I would say great. He's extremely curious, and then when he's bored, whatever else, he's a musician, and he's a good musician. He loves music. We're going to talk a bit about that a little bit later. So we want to welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, Denny Fruteman. Denny, welcome. Thank you, Ed. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. You know, you and I first met at Capital University a long, long time ago. Um, And you finished. I didn't. I ended up leaving. But I don't know that I ever understood. How did you end up at Capitol? How did you go there for a university? Well, Ed, when I was in high school, I played football and I wanted to continue my football career. But my parameters going to college was that, A, I wanted to stay in Ohio. I wanted to go to a smaller school. And I migrated to Capitol. I was recruited by many of the smaller schools and had several offers. But Capitol... Uh, I like the location in Columbus, Ohio. I can't believe when I was 18 years old, I figured out that, hey, if I'm going to go to a small school and football is not going to be my end career, I should try to find a place I can find a job. And migrated to Capital, met my wife at Capital. She grew up in Columbus and we spent our whole life in Columbus and it's been very good to me and was the right decision. Um, were you offense or defense? I don't remember it. What was your... Yeah, I played defensive tackle. And by today's standards, you were not very big. I played at 200 pounds. And uh, <laughs> the average offensive line back when I played was about 240. And so I was quick. Thank God I was quick because I had to get around people. I couldn't go through them. <laughs> and do you have many lingering ailments or aches because of all that football? Actually, the worst ache I have is I have bad ankles. I had many, many ankle sprains during my career. So my ankles aren't the best. But everything else is pretty good shape. That's great. I saw Dak Prescott really screw up his ankle yesterday, and that was that was uh, tragic how bad that was. So, well, I'm glad you don't have uh, lingering pains and problems for the most part. You know, you're the first executive from the healthcare industry that I've had on the Ed Epley experience. Explain to the audience how you got into that world and how you made that such a career path for you. Well, it's uh, I have an interesting career path. I graduated from Capital uh, in accounting. I'm a CPA by trade. I started my career with Ernst & Young, back then Ernst & Ernst. That's how long ago it was. And I migrated into representing clients who did real estate deals. And I was putting real estate deals together. One of my clients started putting healthcare real estate deals together. And I got very interested in that. And in 1987, decided to go out on my own and start my first company at the age of 34, which was developing and representing hospitals as they were building projects and developing real estate, medical office buildings, ambulatory buildings, et cetera. 
And well, that's how I got into it. I, I learned the business from the real estate side and then migrated into the entire operational side of healthcare. So your current business, HPlex, was not your first entrepreneurial foray then. You came right out of the CPA practice, the public accounting world, and went into that business. That's correct. My first company was called Prime Medical Group. And how I got to Ohio Health, which is a very large, uh, as you know, health system in central Ohio, is they were a major client of mine. And in 1995, the, the new CEO, Bill Wilkins, approached me and said, Denny, uh, we would like to buy your company. We'd like you to step in as CFO of this new health system we're creating. At the time, it was called U.S. Health. And we're going to see a lot of opportunity with joint venturing projects with physicians. We need to grow. We need to really extend our ambulatory environment and certainly like you to step into that position. I said, Bill, I've never spent a day in a hospital finance wise. He said, don't worry. You have you have plenty of CFOs in the hospitals that will report to you. You understand finance. I need you to strategically think about the finance side of growth. And uh, so in 95, we sold our company, Prime Medical, to Ohio Health, back then U.S. Health, and I proceeded as CFO. Was that a hard decision? Was that really a tough one for you or not? It was a tough decision because I'm really an entrepreneur by trade, and I'm in the service business, and it was a tough decision stepping from a company we had at the time, 25 employees, to a system at the time that had about, oh, probably 6,000 employees. By the time I left there, they had... 12,000 employees. So it was a tough decision. But on the other side of the coin, we knew it was an opportunity. We and my two partners knew it was an opportunity for us to get inside of a healthcare system and really learn this business from the inside out. So it was the right decision. And I don't regret a day of it. And uh, when you did that, I mean, that's really when healthcare was in an explosive mode, not unlike what it's been the last couple of years. I mean, it's been through cycles and you really got in on the front end of a big growth cycle. When I got into it in 95, healthcare was moving towards, if you remember, the Hillary Clinton model, which was, yeah. uh, you know, the healthcare system controls all health, the insurance side, the taking care of patients side, everything. And we had an insurance company, we were employing docs, we were really going to a capitative market where the hospitals paid a fee every month to take care of patients. That was way ahead of its time. And when I got there, I had to migrate our system back because it never happened. So right. it was a very right. challenging time as far as the business operations of hospitals. Um, I want to talk some more about you know what's going on in the industry because we have a lot of executives and business owners who, you know, other than their payroll, Healthcare is their biggest expense on their P and L, and not unlikely to continue to be that way. So, talk about your career path at Ohio Health because you came in there as the CFO of that entity. Yeah. Okay, that's correct. So, explain to the audience what happened there. So, you went from running your own business to now reporting to somebody. So that had to be different. But then also, you migrated into more executive positions there. So, explain that to the audience. Yeah, I mean, I was obviously part of the C-suite, you know, the uh, top executive suite, and I worked very closely with the CEO and the COO of back then U.S. Health as we were taking this health system, which owned at the time I started two hospitals, Grant and Riverside, and we're growing it over the next several years. So my role was financially to put together, become the architect, if you will, of a financial model to allow us to expand and grow. And at the time, Healthcare was shifting, Ed. It was shifting from in the old days where healthcare was, hey, you take care of sick people, you take care of episodic events, 
but you typically are not taking care of the health of people going forward. And it was really migrating to going from taking care of sick to managing a population to be healthier. Okay. And that's a, that's a big transition. Also during that time, the way hospitals were paid was being transitioned from single payer to managed care to negotiating contracts. It really, in the 90s, healthcare made a major turn. And so my role was to financially guide us through that along with the operational folks of how to deliver under these new methods of taking care of the health of patients, not just their current illness. So when you did that, was there a I mean, that was a change of motivation for both the docs and the nurses, I assume. I mean, you were asking them to think about their job in different ways. So am I correct? First of all, that was what you were asking of them. You were asking them to think differently about their jobs. No question. And back then, it was about 80% of the uh, medical staff of every hospital were independent docs. They were not employees of the hospital. And only about 20% were employees. So you had to manage this independent group of physicians and lead them along, but they were not your employees. That model's totally shifted today. About 80% of the docs are now hired by hospitals and 20% are independent. So I lived in the shift where you really were managing physicians that you had no other control but to create these economic and these uh, operational relationships with them. Well, I don't think it's a surprise to most people listening that we would say that most docs and surgeons in particular have egos and uh, pretty significant ones. And so what's it like trying to get them to go down a path that's different than what they've historically followed? Well, how hard was that in terms of what you had to get done? It was very challenging. And the other thing that happened in Ohio where certificate of need law lifted, whereas you used to have to get approval through the state to build a facility, that went away and free enterprise became the model. We had to educate physicians financially. I'll give you an example. In 1996, when the certificate of need law went away in Ohio, physicians wanted to start having their own ambulatory surgery centers or joint venturing them with hospitals like us, Ohio Health. Well, at one time, there was 26 ambulatory surgery centers under pre-development in central Ohio. And I'd meet with physician groups and say, you know, what would you like to do? And they said, well, we're going to get involved with four or five of these. And we said, well, wait a minute. To be able to make money, you have to take all your patients to one facility where you can make money. If you spread your time over five facilities, you're marginalizing five facilities. And so those were the issues we had to teach physicians on the business side of healthcare because it became a different animal once CON law lifted in Ohio. I still need to know more about you going from CFO to becoming a CEO within the organization. So let's not forget that. But before we do that, I've spent enough time with enough surgeons and those who've had their own practice or been part of one that's been private to tell you that most of them don't want to think about the business implications of the work that they do. They just want to practice their practice. Am am I right in that, that most of them really don't want to be bothered with the financial stuff if they can help it? I mean, that is correct. I I would say they are more aware of financial stuff now than they were back in the 80s and 90s, but you're exactly correct. So part of this is getting them to become smarter about something that they don't really want to know about. Or I mean, truthfully, they'd rather spend time learning and practicing their craft than worrying about the P&L and the balance sheet. So you're trying to get them to become smarter about stuff that's necessary, but not necessarily interesting to them. Is that that fair? Yeah, I mean, healthcare is a mission driven, you know, it's, it's mission driven by the folks that work in it. So you're exactly right. We had to really bring them along 
to teach them on the economics and help them. Now, once again, they, they owned practices. They were managing their practices. So they had a level of understanding, but they relied heavily on their management team, their non-clinical management team, you know, to manage that practice. All right. Uh, doctors spend a lot of time, look, you know, meeting patients, so they don't have a lot of time to spend on the business side. Well, and as a businessman who happened to be in healthcare, my guess is that you were able to talk in strategic enough terms that the docs, you, you weren't worrying about debits and credits with them. You were just talking the fundamentals and, right. and the significant impact that whatever you were asking of them would have. All right. So you went from being a CFO to a CEO within the organization. Tell me about that journey. Well, as CFO, uh, I championed the acquisition of a hospital system called Doctors Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. It was three hospitals, and it was highly competitive. We went against seven competitors to buy it. It was a very large acquisition, and that happened in 1998. For the first year after we acquired uh, the organization, it really started spiraling downward financially. So after the first year, I, I went to the CEO, Bill Wilkins of Ohio Health, and said, Bill, I championed this acquisition. I'd love to have an opportunity to go over to doctors and try to turn it around. And uh, Before you go any further, so when uh, was that market-driven, the difficulties that the uh, organization had, or was that more self-inflicted pain that came about, or was it some of both? It was market-driven, and I could spend an hour talking about why that happened, but doctors was an osteopathic hospital. And in the old days, osteopathic docs did not mix with allopathic docs. But that all changed in 98, 99. And as the market opened up for more opportunities for osteopathic docs, where doctors' hospitals used to have a captive medical staff, they start to switch other hospitals. Okay. And that's what happened. And it happened very rapidly. And so it was. It reached a tipping point. It was slow to the point of the tipping point. But once it happened, it just uh, doors fully opened. That's exactly right. Okay. All right. So continue the story. So market-driven uh, loss of revenue, essentially, to the, the business that you bought, and now it needs to be turned around. Now what happens? So I, I became CEO of Doctors Hospital, and my first goal was to look at, there were two major facilities in Columbus, one on the west side of Franklin County and one downtown called Doctors North and Doctors West. My goal was to try to keep both facilities open, although we were dispersing patients to both and we were spreading out our economics and it was very costly. So for the first six months, my effort was to try to turn the organization around and keep it intact. I realized after six months that it was inevitable that we would need to close Doctors North, the flagship hospital that started the Doctors Hospital, and move everything to Doctors West. And why that decision was made is Doctors North sat within a stone's throw of OSU Medical Center, Riverside Hospital, and Grand Hospital. On the west side of Franklin County, there was no competition. Right, right. So it was my job to close Doctors North and migrate everything to Doctors West, a very challenging opportunity. Was that a bigger issue for the, the community, or was it a bigger issue for the staff? It was both. In fact, in managing that, I had to manage and keep the community calm, and I had to manage and keep the employees and the physicians calm. Back then, I had the community, I had our employees, and I had the independent physician medical staff. I had to manage all three of those to get them to a point to come along with this. It was a very challenging time, but very rewarding. I don't know if you want to talk about this, but I mean, did you get personally attacked because of the, the decisions? Were you? I mean, social media wasn't what it is today, but were people coming after you? 
Uh, Interesting story. You know, let's talk about the community. First, the community, they were up in arms to begin with. Right. But we did our homework. And when we had our major meeting with all of the community leaders around Doctors North and and, uh, that area of town, uh, we were prepared. And I'll never forget, we went into a meeting. There were probably 25 community leaders, myself and some of my staff. And the first thing I started talking and a reverend stood up and said, listen, young man, he said, you're taking health care for my community. I want to, you know, I want to do this, this and that. And I said, reverend, I said, do respect. If you give me 30 minutes, I have a presentation. I have a plan. Please watch that and I'll answer any question. We went through our presentation. We went through our plan. He stood up at the end and said, young man, I want to tell you something. Normally, I wouldn't let someone of your age make me sit down. He goes, thank you for making me sit down. Your plan is very good. I'm going to support it. So the moral of the story is you got to be prepared when you go in. And we were. We were very prepared. Yeah. You know what? It's funny. I never thought of you as a detailed guy, but as I've gotten to know you and watch you, uh, you you dot the I's and cross T's pretty well. Is that instinctive or is that something you've learned? Well, people think that I'm reactionary and that I make quick decisions, but I'm a CPA by trade, so I have a conservative nature in me. So, yes, I can make decisions, but I, I can analyze data very quickly, and I do think through it. But I'm not afraid to make a decision. I'm not afraid to move forward. So how long were you in the CEO role? What was the from beginning to end? I started I, – I was a CEO for three years before I – my last day as CEO was when I – accomplished uh, Doctors North closing yep. and Doctors West being up and operational. I opted to leave the organization at that time. Bill Wilkins, the CEO, had retired, and I really wanted to move on uh, in my career. But uh, it, And when I took the job, I told Bill Wilkins, Bill, this is probably my last role at Ohio Health. And I said, and that's good news because I will make decisions not to protect myself in any right. way, shape, or form. Right. I will make decisions that are best for the organization and our employees. All right. So was that 2001, 2002? I left in 2002. Okay. So then what happened? What did you do then? When I left in 2002, I started HPLEX Solutions, which was very similar to what Prime Medical Group was, which I sold Ohio Health. And All I right. continued in the healthcare development sector, uh, representing hospitals who uh, build projects, uh, developing projects, and bringing third-party ownership to the table, and managing healthcare, non-core healthcare real estate. What I learned going to Ohio Health and coming back out is w- our product in Prime Medical was very, very important and much needed, and really learned from the inside out how to better that as yeah. we now represent hospitals going forward. So it for me, it was incredible. Yeah, I mean, essentially, you got to look inside the tent of uh, major healthcare organizations and understand the systems, the processes, the politics, all those different things that would have been hard to know otherwise. And you hit the nail on the head, managing the politics and being able to manage a health system. I understood that. And also, we did so much at Ohio Health in the years I was there as CFO and CEO I can sit down with any president or any board member in the country of a hospital health system. And believe me, my experience is I can can talk with them. I can stay right with them. All right. So, you know, one of the things I want to do for the audience is help them look ahead two, three, five years about what's coming. And so you're uh, sensitive to the trends. 
your business knows about stuff years before it actually becomes operational. You know, I'm talking three to five years in many cases, right? In terms of HPLEX and, and the work you're doing. Yes. So yes. Wh- where's healthcare headed for the typical business owner, you know, small business? And I'm talking small business anywhere from a million to a hundred million dollar company. What should they expect to happen? Well, that's a great question. And let's talk about some key things that have happening or are happening. that are going to change it substantially. One, this election is important because I think coming from this election, we're going to have a direction of how healthcare is going to be paid and what happens to the insurance products. Okay, that's number one. Number two, COVID-19 is a game changer. It's a game changer in how we're delivering the service, but it's also a game changer to say healthcare has to continue to move in the direction of managing the health of a population. Right. not managing an episodic event. Right. And with those changes, that's going to create a lot of opportunity for us in healthcare because we see healthcare migrating more away from the big hospital into the communities, smaller right. facilities, more comforting for people to go to, staying away from the hospital until you actually need an inpatient you know, visit, which is more rare today than it was 10, 15 years ago. From an employer standpoint, it's also the challenge of, Reducing the cost of healthcare and reducing the cost of healthcare, taking a lot of these services away from the more expensive hospital setting and putting them in a less expensive ambulatory setting will help reduce that cost of healthcare, which hopefully then will flow down to the employers. And I think you're going to see more employers come together and try to create their own representation of employees from different sectors to go negotiate better contracts with hospitals on managing care. I do see capitation or paying a a monthly amount to take care of your population. I'd still see that coming down the road as as opposed to paying for every episodic event. What about these concierge doctors and what's going on there? Is that going to become more prevalent or not? I think if we go to a uh, one-payer system, I think it'll become very prevalent. I think yeah. because uh, a one-payer system, I'm, I'm not a fan of a government one-payer system. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's going to be fraught with problems. And I do think if we move that direction, I do think this concierge will happen. The problem with that is now you're going to have two tiers of level of health care. And I don't oh, yeah. like that. And that's, right. that's, but that, will, yeah, that will happen. I, uh, it's ironic. I had my annual physical today and my doctor's a great physician. I really respect him and think highly of him. And he's part of a very large practice, uh, central Ohio primary physicians practice there. I think they're the largest practice in, in central Ohio, but he was talking very much about what you were saying, that the direction of healthcare is to try to keep people out of hospitals. It's, it's far more preventative today than it's ever been. And Personally, I think that's great for everybody. I think everybody wins when they do that, if to the extent that they can. So that I think that's good for the average person that's listening to this podcast. I want to move away from the industry now and talk more about your style of leadership and management. Typically, people who've gotten to where you are, you know, tell me there were several people who had significant influence on them. I don't want you to name anybody you don't want to name names. To the extent that you want to, that's fine. But I'm more concerned about what did those one or two people tell you that really influences the way you've managed and led people today? I've got a couple of folks that really have been instrumental to me. And one of them is Don Melnick. Don is the retired president of Worthington Industries, a Fortune 500 company. 
Yep. I got to know Don as a as a 24-year-old when I started doing his tax work when I was working at Ernst. Really? And we became, we, yes. And we became lifelong friends, and Don has invested in, in uh, real estate with me. I mean, Don and I have worked together ever since. And Don taught me several things. First thing he taught me and the most important is that, Denny, when you make a promise, when you make a handshake, don't worry about the legal documents. You, you keep your promises. And I watched him live it his whole life, and he's right. He said, don't let legal documents dictate your ethics. In other words, you say you're going to do something, do it. Good. He said, be willing to make a decision and live by it. If it's the wrong decision, fix it. Don't throw blame out. Yeah. And listen. Don't look at suing everybody because you made a wrong decision and you want to blame someone else. He said, I've made a lot of bad decisions. You pay for them, you move forward. I believe that sincerely. You spend so much time looking back on a bad decision and trying to blame somebody of trying to justify it versus just fix it and go forward. Put it behind yeah. you. It's an experience. Yeah. And then the last thing he told me was, Focus on your core competency. Too many companies are successful in one thing, but they try to overexpand and they get into businesses they know nothing about, and it's a failure. He said, now your core companies will change over time, but focus on them. And I think that was great advice. Bill Wilkins, the CEO of Ohio Health, who I worked for when I sold my company, I mean, he really taught me a lot about managing through politics, being able to don't just go forward, Danny, and demand everything. You've got to learn how to negotiate. And here's the interesting thing that he said. Uh, when I was at Ohio Health, I became the chair of the Arthritis Foundation, and we were doing a fundraiser, and the fundraiser was really struggling. So they asked me to chair it, and I put together my own committee for the Arthritis Foundation. And the year before, they netted $35,000 in proceeds. The year I did it, they netted $150,000 in proceeds. And Bill Wilkins stood up in front of the whole senior team and he said, here's a lesson learned. You become a good manager. You become a good leader when you can lead people. And the way you lead them is not because you give them a paycheck. You have to find other ways. And he said, Denny just led this group, this group of uh, board members he put together uh, for this right. fundraiser. And they're from all different industries and he never paid them a nickel. So you have to learn to lead without the power of giving them a paycheck. That's when you become a leader. That's great advice. Great advice. And lastly, my father, when I started in business, who was a policeman, and I'm very proud of that. And he said, Denny, all I will tell you is be able to put your head on the pillow every night and fall asleep because you've made the right decisions for the right reasons. That's good stuff. That is wonderful. You know, uh, Peter Drucker, when he was living, said the best leaders in America are basically today coming from the nonprofit sector because they have to get alignment and uh, basically buy in from people that don't have right. to buy in and align. And he said when those people who figure that out are really great leaders and, yeah. and clearly that that rubbed off on you. All right. Uh, I want to talk just a second about board experience. And uh, I was able to successfully twist your arm and get you to join a board of which I'm a part at the uh, NECO organization that is so passionate about foster care. You've been on a lot of different boards and I didn't prepare you for this question. So if, if you need to think about it, feel free to do that. But I'm curious about what do you think is the biggest mistake most people make when they join a board? What is it that they don't know that they need to know before they become a board member? Well, and before I answer that, and I didn't know you were going to ask, and before I answer what popped in my head is I, I did spend 16 years on the board of 
Capital University, and I was lucky enough to be chair for four. And once you chair a board, you really realize what you have the expectation of your board to be. Yeah. And so what I would tell you is that as a board member, as we recruited board members of Capital, as I recruited them for other boards, I said, listen, I don't want you here because of your names as a board member. I want you here because we need your expertise. But I need you strategically thinking. We have a management group. We respect the management group. I don't need you digging into the details of everything. You need to be at a higher level because that's what the organization wants. Someone that's not in the box every day, but outside the box, bringing other industry expertise, but thinking at the high level, giving examples and ideas for the organization to thrive. So is it safe to say that most people who struggle at board membership are thinking too much about managing versus just helping the strategic intent of the business? Is that what you're saying? I think that's right. And quite frankly, when that happens and what you see, it creates conflict. Oh, yeah. It creates conflict between the, the management team of the organization and the board, which you don't want. Unwinnable battles. So I mean, that's not to say you can't be challenging and you should be challenging as a board member. But once again, at a high level. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Well, as I warned you that we expect from our guests, one thing that they would give as advice to business owners, executives, or even managers of teams, if you can only do one thing to run a more successful, sustainable business, what's your piece of advice? That one thing, Denny, for you? I think that what's made me successful as a leader is I lead by example. I don't ask folks to do something that I haven't done. When I led at Ohio Health and when I led at Doctors Hospital, I actually had my senior management team one day a month, one Friday a month, go down and work in departments, put the scrubs on, go work in maintenance, go meet with folks and work with them and understand what they do so that when you're making decisions at the high C-suite level, you understand how it impacts every employee. I can't stress enough of the relationship that a leader should have with his employee base. And the last thing I would say is in any company, create a culture and live by it. I mean, really dedicate yourself to the culture you want. Make sure your employees are bought in and then you live by it every day. He's Denny Fruteman. He's the CEO of HPlex. They help hospitals and healthcare organizations figure out how to both build their business and operate their business more effectively than they might otherwise. I call him a friend. And if people want to reach you, what's the best way to be able to contact you if they want to learn more and, and both about leadership, but also your business, Denny? Uh, my email is Denny, D-E-N-N-Y, at hplex, H-P-L-E-X dot com. They're welcome to email me anytime. And he will respond, folks. He absolutely will. Denny, thank you so much for taking time to join us. And I know our audience is going to get a lot from this. Thank you. And I expect to have you back on again. Thanks, Ed. Honored to be here today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's the Epley, E-P-P-L-E-Y, group.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills.